Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back. Another show, another week. Got a great guest for you this week. My guest is Ginger Lee McDermott, an amazing actress that I get to work with sometimes. Uh, She sometimes goes by Ginger Honey. Uh, No, that is not a recipe. That is her married name because she is married to the wonderful actor James Honey, whom you enjoyed a couple weeks ago on this very show. So you are now getting to hear the other half of this uh, power couple of talent. Now, before I go on, I do need to give a shout out to my new tutti frutti, Bruce H. Hey, Bruce H., Welcome to the family. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you want to be like Bruce and many others, a a slowly but steadily growing legion of supporters that just touches my heart so deeply, you can go to patreon.com slash face the facts pod and you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Now, in today's show, you might hear a little bit of an echo. Oh, the many different fun technical glitches that one can encounter by trying to do a podcast over Zoom. Anyway, it is there. I'm aware of it, and I don't think it's too much of a distraction. So uh, let's just uh, let's keep moving on here, shall we? Let's just look the other way. Nothing to see here. And... Uh, The other thing is uh, Ginger and I do discuss briefly the whole going back to work thing. She's at Universal, uh, but my full-time gig is at Disney. As of this recording right now, Disney and Actors' Equity, the union that represents the actors at Disney, including myself, uh, they're just in a deadlock right now. They've been trying to negotiate what each side thinks is safe working conditions, and uh, they cannot agree on it. And in fact, the acting community is very split on the issue, too. And uh, we're just hoping it's going to be resolved very soon so we can all get back to work and do so in a safe environment. Anywho, let's move on to this week's show. Ginger, Lee, McDermott, Honey, and I watched Season 5, Episode 14, Next Door, and the original air date was January 4th of 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Ginger Lee McDermott. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting to you, amazing actress, amazing lady, amazing everything, the wonderful Ginger Lee McDermott, honey! Oh, way, you are way too kind to me, way too kind. (laughs) Oh, no, I am not. You are. No, you are. No, you are. (laughs) (laughs) So glad to get you on the show, finally. I know. I'm sorry it's taken so long. (laughs) (laughs) we it's hey you are busy in a pandemic to be busy to have a lot of stuff going on that's a good thing and i begrudge you nothing my dear thank you thank you i'm i'm you know trying every day staying safe doing the best i can and if anyone knows me they know six feet away from anyone is just fine with me (laughs) (laughs) that's how you lived your life beforehand exactly Yeah, we we know many people who are introverts, you know, actors who you think of as being so outgoing and all that. We know so many actors who are introverts who are like, 
this is my time to shine. I just wanted to sit at home and watch TV all the time anyway. Exactly. You know, I can record, you know, voiceover stuff and just be in my closet all by myself and just do what I want to do and no one can bother me. And it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I, I'm not as uh, catastrophically miserable as uh, a lot of our peers are. So that's a good thing. No, I, I, yes. And I have to say, though, uh, we were both very excited when we got called back to work. But at the same time, the first week of it, everyone there was like, can I just go home again? That was yeah. fun. <laughs> You're talking about yourself and your magnificently talented husband, James Honey. Yes, yes. I'm very lucky. Friend of the podcast. Yes, yes. And you are both, you're both full-time universal people. So yes. you have been back to work. You're not in limbo like us Disney folk. No, and I, I just, I feel so sorry. I just, I mean, it's a whole thing and I understand it. But it's just rough on everybody right now mm. with what's going on. And I just sympathy for all of my equity friends and um, union members and everyone that was employed at Disney. Um, I just want you guys to be able to go back to work safely. Mm -hmm. As as we all do. Yes, indeed. So uh, we watched a Lulu of an episode, didn't we? Yes, I can't believe you picked this episode for me. It's as if you actually knew me really well. Oh, Okay, I can't wait to hear more about this. This is okay. <laughs> I find a lot of happy accidents have happened on the podcast. You know, I really think that's what was great about the Facts of Life after watching this episode. I'm like, it really is like the more you know, and you know, just you, the 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 after school special. You know, mm -hmm. you can learn from these things. Oh yes, and you might not think it applies to you, but then you'll remember the episode. Like, oh, that happened to Tootie, and on this episode, I feel, oh, now I understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nope, so true. Yes, and uh, this episode, of course, to which we are referring, is season five, episode fourteen, entitled "Next Door." And the original air date was January fourth of nineteen eighty-four. Happy New Year, Ginger. I know. That's crazy. We're in another year. To think the show started in 79 when I began the podcast, and here we are. You know, I, 1979, I'm not going to say how old I was. Uh, when, <laughs> when I first started watching, I really, I'll be honest with you, David, I really only watched the first couple seasons. Like, mm -hmm. once they got to Edna's Edibles, and I can't remember how they got there, I kind of, there were other things going on. I was older, you know. Puberty happens, and you stop <laughs> watching TV shows like that. So, you know, I and so that's why it was fun for me to watch this episode, um, and you know, and also just the people that were in it. Uh huh. Oh yes, yeah. There's a there's some surprises in mm -hmm. here coming up. Mm -hmm. Now, this episode was written by Milt Rosen and Glenn Padnick, and both of them had been story editors and creative consultants for many high-profile shows. Not much from the mid-'80s on. They had stuff kind of previous to this. But I do have to point out that Glenn Padnick was one of the original writers of the pilot uh, of the pilot for this show, season one, episode one, called Rough Housing. <laughs> and uh, rough was a good word to have in the title because it was rough. <laughs> and uh, this is a special episode, Ginger, because it is directed by Linda Day, not... Asad Kalada. Asad Kalada, who would go on to do most of Who's the Boss after this, had directed every episode in season four, and he's directed all but five, I think, maybe four of them in season five. So he's kind of their in-house 
on-hand director, like the guy that they use. Right. So it's very weird that we have an episode here that was not directed by him. But Miss Linda Day, though, who directed this one, this is her only time that she ever directs The Facts of Life. But she would go on to a lot of other series. And uh, sadly, she's no longer with us. She passed away in 2009 at 71 years old. Mm. So that's why we don't see much from her these days. Well, then, I don't know if James prepped you or warned you. That before we get into the microscopic dissection, I always ask my guests to take a moment and synopsize the entire episode briefly, just in one or two sentences like you might see in a TV guide listing. Uh, Tootie meets a new friend and has to learn to deal with his situation. I love it. <laughs> I love how it's indicative, but it's not obvious. Yeah, well I, done, my dear. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, are we ready to do this? Are we ready to get into my microscopic OCD dissection here? Oh, let's do it. I love that stuff. Okay. Well, we start off at Edna's Edibles, and we are in the store, and what do we hear? What is the music that is playing, Ginger? It is from the Nutcracker. I it's I want to say it's the Nutcracker Suite. The I recognize it as the Nutcracker, and what I know it's not, it's not the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. No, no, no. Which is a different, that's da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's, uh, but it is the Nutcracker, which is kind of like, okay, this episode was filmed in November, according yes. to uh, my sources, and it is New Year's, mm-hmm. so we are still in holiday season mode sort of it is interesting though that the store had been previously decked out for christmas like big time oh and then it suddenly wasn't and no mention of christmas was made and then we now have mention of christmas but nothing and next week we're going to have uh what am i trying to say like a winter festival where the store is decked out in icicles and, you know, snowflakes and all white and icy blue. Yeah. Typical of sitcoms where it is the way it needs to be for this week and we are making no real concern with last week or next week. Right. <laughs> yeah. But as part of a visual gag, sort of dancing to this music, Natalie comes in with a tray of food and clumsily and sloppily is doing her faux ballet Dishing out the food onto a platter and then putting some onto a plate. And it's supposed to be a funny visual gag of Natalie dancing badly while trying to do her work. Yes, yes. And and to be honest, I mean, I, I thought actually she was right on the rhythm, at least, to the music. Um, but I just was concerned with whatever that was she was dishing on the plate. I'm like, is that eggs? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> it was very, um, it was like being at Chipotle where... <laughs> They have an amazingly efficient uh, assembly line going. Yes. But there are times you know that they forget that it's food they're dealing with. They're just slapping it down. It's like, I'm on a deadline. I got to get this burrito done and I've got another quesadilla coming down the line and two web orders. And you applaud their efficiency, but you're like, Honey, that is food. I'm going to be eating that. You could be a little more genteel. Yeah, can, you know, give my give my burrito a little care, please, if you don't mind. No, 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 just shoved along to the next person. Yeah. So no sooner do Mrs. Garrett and Tootie come in 
uh, after Natalie is done, I feel like if they had come in beforehand, there would have been some commentary about her dancing. Yes. And uh, But they come in, and we start hearing some noise, like a thumping, uh, a banging noise or whatever. And uh, they are complaining that it's something that's wrong with the boiler. Yes. Joe allegedly fixed it, but it's not fixed well enough and still happening. And Mrs. Garrett is like, I, I got to call a professional. So she goes off to, to find the yellow pages, which is like, <laughs> that's how we used to find people. Yeah, no Google, no Facebook friend. Hey, do you know anybody <laughs> recommendations? No, you, you had to go get the book. <laughs> yeah, the it was like the Bible, really. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, then Blair and Joe come in. And Blair has some surprise news for the girls. She was able to acquire the tickets to see Barishnikov in Swan Lake. So the girls, particularly Natalie, are all really excited. And the tickets cost $40 each. What? That's outrageous. Do you know how much that is in 2020 dollars, Ginger? 300 <laughs> it's, it's not as much as you'd think. It's $99.25. Oh, wow. So it's like $100 for a ticket to the ballet to see a name, to see Barishnikov in the ballet. That's pretty reasonable yeah, by and today's I, standards. And I don't know how Blair, even at that time, got him for that price. Because yeah. he was the hot ticket. Oh, was he ever. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, you know, and growing up a dancer, I knew of him from a long time ago. So Joe, of course, is unimpressed. She's like, what? $40 to go and see them? And, you know, Joe is typically Joe, unimpressed. So um, Mrs. Garrett has, that's where Mrs. Garrett comes in with the phone book. And Joe was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? She's like, I'm calling someone to look at the boiler. And she's like, no, 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 no. I, it's, it's just got to... It's got to get the air out of it or something. Joe insists that she did fix it and that the banging noise is just part of its recuperation, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe says she'll go look at the boiler again. Right. So everybody has cleared out. And Mrs. Garrett does ask Tootie to cover the front of the store. And then uh, while Tootie is there alone, in comes a little boy. Oh, and this was so exciting for me. And the little boy came in, and what did the audience do? Oh. Because oh. he looks like it's... a little street urchin. He's got his little lunchbox. He's got his little <laughs> coat on. You're like, oh, you immediately, like, oh, why is he by himself? That's He's so sad. adorable, but the uh, there's a little sense of, like, have you guys never seen a toddler before? <laughs> it's like, what's that? It's not like a... Oh, an exotic puppy from Siam. No, it's... no. <laughs> it's a small child. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fucking kid. It's not I don't know what this uh I, you wonder if it seems like they were prepped that they were prodded to oh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There someone was holding the sign up. <laughs> yes. That's true. I think that's I think I really do think so. But um he comes in and this little boy he has the most interesting name ever. It is pronounced, as far as my research tells me, it is pronounced Talison Jaffe. It is T-A-L-I-E-S-I-N. The actor, yes. J-A-F-F-E. Yes, the, the actor is Talison Jaffe. And this is when I have to say that I, I saw this kid, I'm like, I know this kid from something else. Mm -hmm. I love this kid. What did you kid. know him from? 
And then it clicked about the second scene. I'm like, oh, he's the whoopee kid from Mr. He's Mom. The kid. He's yes. the whoopee. I love the because in that movie, as in this, he delivers adult lines so well. Mm. And he was even yes. younger in Mr. Mom. But he, you know, where he's like, you know, when dad's like, it's time to give up the whoopee. And he's like, can I have a few moments alone? And he yeah. just gets in his bed, puts his hands <laughs> behind his head, just, uh, you know. Yeah. But, and yeah, and I was like, that's, I love this kid. And, and maybe the awe oh, might have been the recognition factor. Maybe that might have been what Possible, motivated yeah. that a little bit because uh, Mr. Mom had come out just the previous year. So uh, he already had been on that. And he was tiny. By um, doing the math, he is six as of this taping. Mm-hmm. So this is a six-year-old. And so he would have probably been five and barely five at that when they filmed Mr. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. So no, he, he seemed much younger. Yeah. And that. But yeah, that scene where um, Michael Keaton convinces him to give up his security blanket. That's what the whoopee is. Yeah. And it is the most adorable scene. I found it isolated on YouTube and I will post it on the website for this episode. Oh, please to share do. It. It's so good. And that's the thing. Uh, the funny thing about it is I love that movie so much. And I love that the whoopee that, you know, I grew up with a blanket myself. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm just letting the world know that. Um, okay. I might still have a blue blanket on my bed and the one Maybe. behind me. Um, but um, my cat has a <laughs> my cat has a particular fleece of mine that I don't wear anymore, but he loves it. And by loves it, I mean loves it. Um, okay. <laughs> he drags it around the house in his teeth, and we call it his whoopee. That is adorable. <laughs> yeah, he drags it around the house. It moves locations. You'll mm-hmm. come, you know, leave the house. It'll be in one place. You come home. It's like, why is it over there? <laughs> <laughs> and what is your kitty's name? His name is Buddy. Oh, yeah, buddy. That's so sweet. He's not brilliant, but he's a, he's mine. So a little more interesting information about Talis and Jaffe. Mm-hmm. Talis and Jaffe is the son of Robert Jaffe, who was a bit player actor, doesn't have that many credits, but he was uh, an actor in Hollywood. And his mother is Nina Axelrod, who was an actress until 1987, and then she became a casting director. Oh, and ended up working on a lot of uh, somewhat high-profile things, movies that you recognize uh, if you look at her IMDb page. Now, let's continue up the family chain. Nina Axelrod's father was George Axelrod. That's a screenwriter, and he wrote the screenplays to some movies. The Seven Year Itch, uh-huh. Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Manchurian Candidate. That's a big one for me. I love yeah. Manchurian Candidate. yeah. And so, yeah, so that that screenwriter, that's the grandfather of this little boy. And let's go even one generation farther back, Ginger. George Axelrod's mother was a silent film actress. Her name was Betty Cooper. Oh, my goodness. And she made many, many silent films uh, that seemed to stop around 1922. Wow. That's a family of in the business. Yeah. And we'll go even further that um, the brother of the of the mother, so that means the uncle of little boy Tallison, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he is uh, Jonathan Axelrod, who is a writer-producer in Hollywood, and he was briefly married to Ileana Douglas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, you want showbiz family with a capital S-B-F. Holy shit. Well, and, and the kid, well, I don't know him personally, 
But he never had that air of pretension about yes, him. you're right. He was just kind of in the moment, which is what you want, you know, yeah. and you don't get that out of a lot of kid actors. Now, if I don't... you look at the first season of The Facts of Life, there was so, like Molly Ringwald, there was so much coached acting style. Yes, yes. It, yeah, in, and, and uh, you, you can tell. And unfortunately, some of it dragged on to the season we're on now, even though they're older. I was like, bit. just a little bit of, wow, Tootie, take it down a notch. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've discussed that before, yes. Yeah. That's, and um, we will get there. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, Talis and Jaffe is still working in the industry. For the last five years, uh, he does a web series called Critical Role, and it is a live weekly show streaming where a band of professional voice actors improvise, role play, and roll their way through an epic Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Oh my gosh, I can't believe uh, James has not told me about this. He has to yeah, know he may that. be into it because I know James is into D and D. Yes. Mm hmm. So, yeah, and that is on YouTube. I will post links to it. And as part of their channel, there is a point where they have a guy interviewing the individuals within the campaign. And so the interview with Talison is fascinating because he does talk about his early days as a child actor and what that was like. So I'm I'm very, very excited to share all that and discover that he is still out there and still working ongoingly he's awesome. doing he's doing what he loves now you know he's he's like mm -hmm. this is where i want to go with this and uh, as it seems most of his family members did they each went in a slightly different way in the in the film biz and the tv biz you know everybody doing a yeah. different thing nope totally right yes so we learned that this little boy he doesn't divulge his name yet but his name is danny mm -hmm. and he and tootie engage in some I think pretty good, pretty well-written conversation between a teenager and a little boy. Yeah. He says he lives above the real estate office next door. He just popped in. He says, and he says regularly, I shouldn't be here. That's a good thing, that he does know what his instructions are, and he knows he's breaking the rules. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, But he says, I thought you might have some candy in here. <laughs> And Tootie gives him a sample of something. What the, I mean, what was it? It was probably like, you know, a dill pickle potato salad. It was quiche. Was it a quiche, really? It was a spinach quiche, because I think she has the line that said, well, spinach quiche is a something, something taste, like an uh, educated. Acquired. An acquired taste, yes. Yeah. Because he's like, people actually eat this stuff? <laughs> yeah, he has that, <laughs> that. That was probably a little bit of a kid delivery. People actually, actually eat, eat this stuff? stuff? Yes. <laughs> that's only, that's where he maybe danced a little close to coached mm -hmm. uh, speech patterns. But um, Tootie and he quickly connect, and she realizes that if he lives there, that she has seen a mirror light shining through their bedroom window mm -hmm. and she's like that must be you and he's like yes and he knows morse code somehow tootie miraculously knows morse code for this episode something we've never known about her before right well you know roller skating morse code they kind of go together yeah it's yeah it's yin and yang yeah <laughs> so uh he is, yeah, like you said, he looks like a street urchin. He's not, like, dirty no. or anything, but he is dressed. He's got a backpack on that looks like it's as big as he is. Yes, yes. Makes him look tinier. And did you notice his lunchbox, I what thought, it was? Was it Scooby-Doo? No. What was it? It was the 
country fair jamboree. Oh, see, I was trying to look at him. Like, I couldn't get a good shot. I'm like, oh, it looks like yes. the colors. Oh, my gosh, country fair jamboree. I went back. I was like, it's either banana splits or yes. country fair jamboree. Lunch boxes were so important. When we were kids, like, you had to pick the right one. You knew you had to live with it for at least a whole school year. Exactly. Oh, yeah, and, no, lunch- and it was exciting every year getting the new lunchbox. Yes. So very quickly, it becomes apparent that his mom is working. His dad doesn't live with them anymore. And Tootie asks, so what about a babysitter? And he's like, I'm not a baby. I can take care of myself. Yes. Well, it's apparent he is a latchkey kid who stays at home with the door locked with instructions not to answer the phone or uh, answer the door unless he gets the signal from his mom. And uh, uh-huh. she doesn't get home from work until 6.30 p.m. Okay. Confession time. Why I say this episode is perfect. I was a latchkey kid. What? Yes. I was a latchkey kid from elementary school because my mom was raising me by herself. And she was a school teacher. So she wouldn't get home until about 4.30 or 5.30. And I had very specific instructions. To this day, I will not answer a door or a phone. I, oh. I can't. <laughs> She, she instilled the fear of God in me. And wow. at my house, we had like a stained glass yellow side. You know, it was the 70s. And I could sneak against the wall and still look through the peephole, but they wouldn't know that I was at the door. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I could see if it was a neighbor or anything that, you know, wanted to come in. But um, but no, I, I still, I, I'm always like when the door knock, there's a door knock. I go, James, answer the door. <laughs> 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 get it, get it. Because I, I, I just, I, it's ingrained in me. I think that's where my introvertedness started. It's just like, no, outside bad, inside good. But yeah, no, huh. I, I loved his snapback keychain, though. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you had the key with the, with like the retractable. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, and I didn't have that. I had mine around my neck, which would mm-hmm. choke you every now and then, and you had to hide it in your shirt, or kids would pick on you. And I had no idea that I was a latchkey kid till I was in fourth grade I want to say third or fourth grade and I decided we had to do a report on something and I'm like I heard about latchkey kids so I did a report on latchkey kids and I'm like that's me (laughs) and this says I'm going to be totally screwed up when I'm an adult (laughs) (laughs) how long did you do that how how long did that system sustain itself I was probably a latchkey kid till high school Till wow, till I was a freshman in high school because, um, because she would drive me to school some mornings. Um, in my elementary school, I could I could ride my bike to school, but I had to take a certain pathway every time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go this way, I couldn't go that way. But I came home, I was allowed to watch a half an hour of TV, I could have a snack, and then I had to do my homework and no more wow. TV until I finished my homework. And then mama come home and she usually made something in the crock pot, which would be ready by the time she got home. <laughs> To this day, wow. I to this day I hate crockpots because of that. <laughs> I will never own one. I will never cook in one. I'm sure they're fabulous, but to me, it's just like not again. <laughs> Throw in the vegetables and the meat and whatever in there. I'm like, oh, crockpot dinner, yay! But that's what my mom wow. had to do to make sure you know. And we didn't have much time because she got up super early to go to school to teach, and yeah. so a lot of times she was up before I even left. So I, I learned to make breakfast for myself pretty early and you learn to do things. And like what he did, he had, he went straight to doing his homework. Yeah. And he had a snack because he got mayonnaise on his pants. Yeah. There's a running (laughs) joke about him saying, 
uh, he changed his pants because he got mayonnaise on. Yes. yes. Um, but yeah, no. So that, that's why I was like, David Almeida, you picked this show for me? I had no idea. It's None. Like, it was like karmic. I don't know what. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm a genius. Yes, yeah, you are. That's right. Just what, own it. you said. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, being kids raised in the 70s and in the 80s, my first thought for this, and I'm sure you kind of had the same thought too, is it's like, you're home alone and your mom's... And I, my first thought was like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this, well, it's 80, I mean, at this point it's 84, but you hear about so much about how parenting has changed over the decades. And we are from a generation who, for the most part, we were just left to fend for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just, it, it was sort of just the way. You 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 know, mom has to work, dad's not there or whatever, and you are taught the rules. And it teaches you, in a way, how to take care of yourself, how to protect mm-hmm. yourself. You know the things to yeah. look out for, what works, what doesn't work. You know, don't start a fire, because you know, who's going to fix that? And to be honest, yeah. I was the worst child to babysit ever, which is why I think my mom had to leave me by myself, because, oh... If my babysitters saw me today, they'd just want to punch me in the face. <laughs> I, I was horrible, horrible to them. And then when I became a babysitter, I was horrible to the kids I babysat. So, you know, and that's why I would tell my mom like he did. I'm not a baby. I don't need a babysitter. You leave wow. me home all day by myself. Why can't I be here by, at night by myself? You know, what's so wow. scary about the nighttime? What's the difference? I'm just going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't have the same upbringing. My parents were more involved, but there was still the thing of on the weekends, it's like, okay, it's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., get out of the house, go. Yeah. Take your bike, go somewhere, do something, dinner's at 6. Yeah. And I- it was like, we, we just, you know, we wrote our own ticket. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to, guess I'm going to ride over to the arcade and yeah. I've got some quarters. I'm going to play some games at the putt-putt golf course. Or, exactly. And if you have uh, friends. Walk around the mall. Like, yeah, I lived on like a cul-de-sac, and not a cul-de-sac, but like it was a circle, a half circle. But my friends all lived on the same street. So we just start riding around and see who's doing what. And when you're a kid, you find the places where you're like, oh, this is Dead Man's Hill. Let's all try to go down it. You had mm-hmm. those places that you knew because you explored. And only you were going to remember that. It's that whole um, stand by me. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You, you all and, go through this together, these journeys. And nowadays, parents have a separate calendar for their kids. Yeah. They have their designated playtime at this particular place with the hand sanitizer and you take your <laughs> shoes off. And yeah. then they have their baby yoga uh-huh. followed by baby Pilates. And <laughs> a child is never alone until they're 18, it seems. As it uh, <laughs> is left, he leaves. Danny is like, okay, I got to go. And the last thing is um, when he leaves, Tootie says, okay, bye, whoever you are. And then the door opens up and adorably he pops his head in and goes, Danny Slater, and then runs out. Oh, like, it was... oh he's just so cute. I love him. So then we go on to the next scene and we are in the girls' bedroom. And uh, Natalie has a photo of Barishnikov that she is worshipping. Natalie, being the horny one, of course, is the one most <laughs> excited about Barishnikov. Um, um, no. th- th- this is what I wanted to talk about. That, talk about it. They could not have picked a worse picture of the man. Oh. <laughs> that's it. No. That, that's, that's him in full stage makeup 
for what yeah. looks to me to be um um uh, uh the the swan um like swan lake swan lake yes and in yeah. the costume from swan lake i'm like or giselle it might have been giselle but i oh, was like yeah. i was like that i thought it was i thought it was natalie's grandmother at first when the picture popped out <laughs> No kidding. I thought it was an older, no. like like <laughs> middle, like Slavian woman. I was like, what? And then she said, oh, Baryshnikov. No. I'm like, no. Misha. She keeps Misha. calling him Misha, which is hilarious. Yes. I think. Yes. But, but I- here's my thing. This is a thing you find in films. Now, on stage, typically you need things that read from the audience. Yes. So you tend to do bigger, broader things. If you have a prop, maybe something bigger is a smarter choice to make for the back row. And you occasionally see this uh, spillover into film and television. This photo she has of Barishnikov is like a 16 by 20 yes. framed picture. It is massive. It's not quite a poster, and it's not no. quite an 8 by 10. It's, yeah, it's like that in-between why... Yeah, but it's because they're like, well, it's a TV show, it's film theater, and it it does look ridiculously big. They could, it's like it could have done an eight by ten, and it would have been fine. Yes, it really would have been good, but it was a little bit big. Uh, but be that as it may, I think that's why the size threw me too. That's why I thought it was like her grandmother, or you know, an aunt, or Mm -hmm. something from the old country. When I first saw the picture, and I was like, no, no. Well, Joe was, of course, uninterested mm-hmm. because she thinks the ballet is expensive. She doesn't like that it doesn't have a referee. And she's a lesbian. Whoa, no, 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 sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Whoa, what a giveaway. Uh, she is not. She is heterosexual. She's just a tomboy, Ginger. I, myself, was a tomboy. That phrase has gone away, unfortunately. Yep. They don't yep. use tomboy anymore. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because there are some of us who are. We just, you know, we like comfy clothes. Yeah. And not wearing makeup. And you are uh, heterosexual yes. and are married to a man. Yes. So it happens. Yes. Every now and then it we does. dress up, but it's hard. Heels are hard. Yeah. Oh, girl, you're preaching to the choir. I've worn enough. <laughs> I know you know. <laughs> On stage with you. Yes, and I think you wear higher fact. heels than I do. Ever. <laughs> oh, star. <laughs> Well, um, there is the this mirror flashing Morse code thing where we know that Danny's there and Tootie is communicating with him in Morse code. And someone's like, why don't you just call him? Jesus. Because I'm the same way. I'm like, God, what a pain in the ass that must be. But it's like, nope, he can't answer the phone unless it's the mother's signal. Um, but he's doing his homework. He needs help with dinosaurs. He's six. He's in first grade. Why the fuck does he have homework? Come on. Seriously, coloring, maybe coloring or, yeah. you know, I had to find a pet for pet day and I got a cricket and, you know, uh, the, I found peeing outside. Peeing standing up, come on. There yeah, are a lot more important things than... Wash your hands and don't touch others. Yeah. These are the things Learn you how to learn. wipe your ass. Yes. Yeah, that's more what it should be. <laughs> uh, but then the boiler starts making noises again. And they're like, uh, the boiler's making noises, Joe. You say you fixed it, but you didn't fix it. And Joe's like, shut your fucking pie hole. I fixed it. I'm paraphrasing. Yes. Um, then in comes Mrs. Garrett. She's like, please, everybody stay calm. <laughs> if you are inspired to do your bad Mrs. Garrett impression, feel free to join me anytime throughout the episode. All right. All right. But she thought she smelled gas. So she called the gas company and they are coming 
but they're pretty sure there's a gas leak and at any minute the building could blow up. So pandemonium ensues. We have some comedy with Natalie conveniently having pre-packed for such a disaster. Yes. And then the oddest line of the entire episode. Tootie is the last one out. Tootie is the one lagging behind. Right. And I don't know if um I don't know if she's remembered. I don't think she's remembered that Danny's over there next door yet. But Mrs. Garrett says, and I went back and listened to this multiple times to make sure I didn't hear it wrong. Did you <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. Say it. She says, Tootie, only twice in my life have I spoken in an arbitrary manner. Once when my husband mortgaged our home to pay the bookie, and now. Get the hell out of here or I'll beat you with my frying pan. <laughs> it's just, it's like, were they were they letting her say that because that's what she said to her husband? Uh, well, here's the thing. Her husband was a gambler. That is canon. Right. That is absolutely consistent. We've met the husband and we know that that was the reason why their marriage broke up was that he was a gambler. But my thing is, the line is, only twice in my life have I spoken in an arbitrary manner. Arbitrary. Yeah, that... To to quote Inigo Montoya, you keep a use of that word. I don't think it means what what you think it means. Yes. (laughs) It's arbitrary means uh, unimportant, dismissible, and... Of of less consequence, arbitrary, you know, it's like, um, you know, I have a supporting role in this play. I walk on and say two lines and leave. I'm completely arbitrary to the plot. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. A, and, and arbitrary is literally the opposite of what she is. She's trying to express. Basically, she's saying, Tootie, I have only shouted twice in my life. Right. This was the first time. And now is the second time. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Right. But we know she shouted before, so that's not right either. But what a weird... You're like, did, did they write it wrong? Did she say it wrong and they didn't catch it? I'm trying to think, what would the word have been that they meant to use? Yeah, I... I, I uh, Basically, she's saying, only twice in my life have I lost my shit. Right. That's what she... Uh, that's what the line is supposed to mean. Yeah. Yeah. But to, to, to equate that to spoken in an arbitrary... And, of course, the, the setup is it's supposed to be, I'm talking really calm and telling a story, and then I'm going to shout at you! Right. They're trying to set up the com- comedy of that. Right. But, it, it, but, yeah, no, it doesn't... <laughs> it's just... It's just... Whatever. Thank God we go to commercial to ponder what the fuck we just heard. <laughs> what was that? And... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And and before the commercial, of course, it's Tootie going, oh, wait a minute. What, if this building is in danger of blowing up, Danny's next door. He's he's in danger. I have to take, I have to go get him. And Mrs. Garrett says the firemen are going door to door or something. And she's like, Mm-mm, he won't answer. So it is left uh, to the commercial with this. Uh, Danny's in danger. What are we going to do? <laughs> and I hate to say it as a latchkey kid. I didn't care if they told me they were firemen. I'm not opening that door. I'm not nope. answering to nothing. I'm not here. And well, you shouldn't have. Nope. nope. That's you are. It is beat into you that you do not open that door because someone mm-hmm. could kill you. Stranger danger. Yes. Well, my darling, we yes. are at the uh, intermission, as it were, All right. for, for theatrical people. <laughs> uh, we're at the commercial. 
where during this time, I like to take a moment and get to know my guests and talk to you about your life and your career. Oh, my. Right. And a uh, little brief travelogue of uh, how you got from your humble beginnings of latchkeydom yes. all the way here to super theme park stardom <laughs> that you currently have. Oh, so, yes. if I may, Ginger Honey. Yes. Where were you born? I was born, actually, it took me a long time to admit this, Sanford, Florida. <gasps> You're local? I am born and raised. Uh-huh. <laughs> and for those who are not local here, Sanford is like, it's like a half an hour north of Orlando if you go up the I-4. Yeah. So yeah. it is considered part of Central Florida. And so then uh, what uh, what gave you the first inklings that you wanted to be a performer and an actress? Well, that would be my nana. Um, mm -hmm. because I used to do this thing, and there's videotape of it. Um, I would dance <laughs> in front of the TV if there was music playing. Like, we'd watch Cher. And I, we, stayed, we lived with my grandparents for a while, so I would just dance in front of the mm -hmm. television all the time. And she got sick of it during the day, <laughs> I think, really why. And she just decided, she called up some dance studio, and she asked them what class, and she's like, I'm going to bring my granddaughter. Now, it was a tap class. I had... No tap shoes. I had, I, she put Mary Jane's on me. I had little Mary Jane's. <laughs> and I think she put me in a skirt or something. I don't know. But it was like for kids who were, I was maybe four. This <laughs> happened. I was four. And, you know, these kids were all older. And the, she, my grandmother had a way of letting people, letting me do things, like making people let me go. So I took the class. I was horrible, but I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. And then they, yeah. she and my Nana figured out where I should be, which was creative movement. But yeah, no, I started dancing and um, uh, got into, you know, dancing schools. And then I don't know, a lot of people, uh, what is now the Orlando Ballet, uh, mm -hmm. used to be Southern Ballet Theater. Mm -hmm. And sure. um, I was their first student when they opened a school because ah. my mom saw it in the paper and she just took me there. And they're like, uh, we don't really have a thing set up yet. So... Yeah, I was the first student, and I took private lessons with the um, the ballet mistress, and then I took class with the professionals. I was, like, maybe 10 or 11. Wow. But my mom wanted to, wanted to know if I was any good, if she should keep spending money on this. <laughs> and so they finally did get some more kids in, and there was a big summer thing, and then I went from there, and I was in the company for a lot of years, and then, you know, the knees go, and... uh Basically, I was told, you know, you can keep dancing and be in a wheelchair when you're 35, or Ugh. you can quit. And so I made the big girl decision and decided I should quit. <laughs> and, uh, and what age was that when I, you stopped dancing? 15, 14, 14 or 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. At, that was already t having a wear and tear in your body. Oh, yeah. Wow. My knees just would not take it. And uh -huh. um, But yeah, so so then I was like, what do I do with myself? This This is my life. This is what I do. It's all I know. And then I remembered, and I will never forget, God bless her, uh, the ballet mistress. We were doing the Nutcracker, to bring it all back to home. Um, uh -huh. And uh, I had to play a boy in the first act because they needed a tall boy for to lift a tall girl who was my mm -hmm. age. And I just told her, I said, you better jump because I'm not lifting you. And <laughs> we were in the rehearsal for the opening scene, the party scene, and... Ballet, uh, uh, Barbara Riggins was her name. She just recently passed on. Uh, wonderful, wonderful woman. But she stopped rehearsal dead cold, and she said, Ginger is the only one acting up there. And I'd, I don't know what acting 
was. Oh. And I said, I'm just trying to not look like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be a boy, which is yeah. kind of what acting is. To, to, to you were be. committing to your role right. before you knew what that was. Yeah, And that popped into my head. And so my mom found this thing called The Kids Company. And they were having auditions for this show. And I wasn't really a singer. I was a dancer. I, I have a dancer's voice. That's the only thing I can say about my singing. <laughs> I, I can hold the tune, but I have a dancer's voice. I'm good at the chorus. <laughs> I can hold my own in the chorus. But, um, but it's yeah. Like saying so, you have a face for radio kind mm-hmm. of a thing. <laughs> so, but that's how it started. And it, because they were doing a musical, I knew I could dance. So I trust I could dance. And, yeah, that happened. And I ended up playing the lead in it. And my mom came to the auditions that took all night long on a school night. And she goes, when did you learn to sing like that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> she had never heard me sing. I didn't sing in church. I never sang. You know, so. Wow. Yeah, because she knew I could dance. And she, or the acting. She's like, where Where do you know how? I'm like, I don't know. Well, so, you, you know, clearly just, showed some promise and you had instincts before you even knew yeah, what just, you were doing. And it was more just like, well, this is this what this person says so they must feel like this is kind of just how i went at it yeah and then i was supposed to go you know keep kept going through uh the end of high school and then i was supposed to go to new york university and chose not to because they wouldn't let me dance and act and i really hmm. didn't know i didn't trust the acting thing i knew i could dance but the acting thing like uh-uh, so i left <laughs> i had a huh. scholarship and everything i'm like bye <coughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, so where did you end up studying? Um, I ended up studying Otterbein College, which is now Otterbein University in um, out, just outside of Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. yeah, it's a uh, it was a small liberal arts school when I was there. Wonderful theater program. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the your your senior year, you are only on campus. We did trimesters, so you were only there one trimester. Otherwise, you were in New York or in LA doing an internship. Because they believed nice. in teaching you the business. And that was one of the biggest gifts I ever got was learning wow. the business. That's and, a great program right there. Yeah. I mean, you worked for casting directors or um, uh, agents. So you basically shut up and keep your eyes and ears open and learn. Yeah. And I did learn so much there. Just, you know. Where did you intern? It was called Johnson Lift Casting. Um, mm-hmm. And they did all the big, all the big musicals, Cats, Miss Saigon, Les Mis. Um, I got to actually meet Cameron McIntosh. He signed oh. a book for me that I believe I still have that they got me for Christmas. But yeah, and I also I uh, uh, was a production assistant for all my children. Oh, so yeah, because my because my friend actually um, she was a writer at the time. Mm-hmm. She was the head writer for uh, all my children. It was the the Kelly Ripa years. Oh, okay. I was in wow. Kelly Rip. I was in Kelly Ripa's prom. I had two days. <laughs> and because I was a production assistant, I would have to go through like the with all the crew and everything. So they all knew me. So I'd be yeah. sitting there. We'd be on a break. And a boom mic would just come right in front of my face. I'm like, stop it. Because they were just goofing with me. But oh. because they knew me, they'd pull me for extra scenes with my date. <laughs> my date loves so me. sweet. Because they'd pull me to do extra stuff because they knew I wasn't going to be. Because, oh, my gosh, the extras there. Oh, the competition. Oh, really? Be, oh, oh, in New York, you mean yes, in general? To get screen time as an extra. Oh, these are like lifer extras. It's like, oh, mm. my gosh. Whereas me and my day, I'm like, we can hang back here. And then they, they pull us to do something extra. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, but, yeah, and then, you know, I just just kind of found my way through, you know, uh, after after college, I did a lot of regional theater. 
and mm-hmm. stuff. And um, and what degree did you end up leaving college with? Uh, BFA. And I tried to go to grad school, but I was like, I know more than these people. Why am I here? <laughs> In Chicago, what I decided to do, which was basically my, my grad class, was I took um, classes with all the casting directors that I could. Oh, so they could smart. see my work. Smart, yeah. And not just an audition, but in them directing me to do things. And, and that's how I met Erica Daniels, who was with Steppenwolf Casting. And I met, you know, I met the guy at the Goodman and Shakes and all these people. So they knew me. Yeah. And, and you worked at Steppenwolf, didn't yep, you? Yep, yep. Um, Erica Daniels got me in there. Um, I had to, sorry, Union, drop my status. <laughs> but <laughs> I got it back. I got it back before I left Chicago. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, she's like, she's like, I want you to understudy Amy Morton, who is a goddess to me. I adore her. Oh, uh, yes. she, uh, but she, uh, I understudied her in the first show. And then I understudied, I was her like, like all time understudy while I was there. So talking about the Chicago thing, that was sort of a, a detour that we, I was talking to James about that too, when he was on. Uh, but before that, you had been here. Uh, in Central Florida, you were working at uh, at Universal full time, and we were at Sleuths together. Yeah, Yay, where we first met. Yes, I got hired at both places at, on the same day. <laughs> Did you really? Nineteen ninety nine, same exact day. Yeah, Laurel hired me, and and Universal uh, hired me. <laughs> you came? Oh, I was thinking you you predated me because no. I um I came into Sleuths in ninety seven, and yeah, yeah I was ninety nine. Yeah, because James wow. and I got married in '98, and then you know he could—he was the one who kind of showed me that you know I never thought about working at a theme park. Mm-hmm. So, and then he showed me you know what he did and how what stuff is there, and there was an audition, so I went to it and and uh, got to be a screaming Janet in the Hitchcock show. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. James sort of pushed me that way, and then he got mad at me because I took the Ghostbuster contract and he didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> But it's because the girl left the contract, so they're going to put another girl in it. It's because I'm a girl. That's all, honey. It's all. Come on. Equal rights. Mm-hmm. And these days, uh, after your, your John to Chicago, back mm-hmm. you come, and the theme parks welcomed you back with open arms, as they usually do with extremely talented people. Oh, it was so amazing. Both James and I were overwhelmed just seeing the faces of the show directors after eight years, and was like, yeah. wow. And them just being so nice and offering us so many different things right off the bat. We were overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, our paths occasionally do cross over yes. at the Universal. Uh, yes. We don't technically work together, but we work in the same place uh, in a certain wizarding world. Yes. And we also do get to... Uh, and and then we do get to share the stage together at the Sleuths Mystery Dinner Theater, which I love whenever we get to. And yes. I cannot wait until we're able to do that again uh, yes. when all this craziness is over. Yes. So, Ginger. Yes. Lee. Yes. McDermott. Yes. Honey. Yes. Enough about you. Thank you. Good. We need to get back to the facts of life and uh. what is going to happen with Danny in the exploding building. I can't believe you've left people this long. I know. You know. Not knowing what happened to Danny in the exploding building. Just rude. We're, it's like, that's soap opera stuff, man. Exactly. With bated breath, we're wasting. Yes. We care less well. about her. What happened to Danny? <laughs> so um, we end up, we, we built a new set for this. We end up coming back from commercial in the hallway of Danny's apartment. 
Yes. And and we see a little bit of, of Danny's apartment, but not a lot of it, because it's not that big a part of the show. Why spend the money, really? It's enough to show you that it's not a big space. Yeah. And uh, so Mrs. Garrett comes up and is trying to talk to Danny and convince him. And he is sticking to his guns. God bless him. He's following the instructions. I can't open the door for strangers. Finally, Tootie comes up. Mrs. Garrett's like, Tootie, get out. The building's going to explode unless it doesn't. Yes. And Tootie convinces him to open the door and they grab him. And leave, and the funny, what's the funny line? Mrs. Garrett, the exit line? Oh, that remember. kid would have been great at the Alamo. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, and when she sticks her face, look to try it so he can see her through the peephole, it's that horrible, <laughs> horrible, awkward, awkward angle, and it makes her just look so, even scarier. Exactly. Know? They were playing that up. It's like, oh, oh yes. we're in a Terry Gilliam film all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and he's clearly, he's at the table, like the dinner table, with yeah. his books out and he's studying. Mm-hmm. What does he say? He's like, I know you're there. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah. And that's what you do when you're a kid. You're like, you're not supposed to tell anybody. Like, no one's here. That's what you yep, say. Yep. There's nobody home. Nobody's yeah. home. <laughs> My mother says there's nobody home. Yes. <laughs> well, then uh, we come back to the store, to Edna's Edibles. They're getting the all clear. It's okay to come back in. It only took an hour Though they do think that it might have taken them only 10 minutes, but Joe was helping the guy right, who was there right. to fix the gas leak. Yes. So one of them, I think it's Natalie, they send her out with Danny, say, go go take him to the pizza place and just get him out of here because, you know, we're all clear, but there or... could still be gas. Let's not light up a cigarette, maybe. <laughs> but so, that's where they all go is to the pizza place. Yeah. So we know there's a real estate office and a pizza place right in this neighborhood. Don't think I'm not going to be paying close attention to every episode. Yes, from yes. From here to the end of the series. <laughs> to make sure that, that, is, that they stick with that. Yes. Very important. Now, um, when, the, when the workman comes up, he is, by the way, the workman, I forget what his name is, but he's played by an actor named Cliff Norton. He's another one of those character actors, 133 credits on IMDb. Wow. But he was, and he was the perfect day player for that role, just the perfect, not overdoing Utility it. player just, yeah. where we need a plumber, we need a plumber, heater, fixer-up guy. Perfect. Yeah. You are correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, his, his career goes all the way back to 1949. Oh Again... God. One of the great things about this era of TV, the late 70s into the early 80s, is you still have these veteran actors who literally helped create what television was. Yeah, yeah. They were part of the invention of the medium because they were acting in it when it was still this thing they were figuring out. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's really, really cool. But while he is, um, there, there's just some banter and haha with Joe trying to help him. And actually, she says she's going on his next service call with him. And uh, and basically, he says that uh, you owe Joe thanks for what she did. If it wasn't for this lady's incompetence with fixing the boiler and all the noise that made you call me, we wouldn't have found this gas leak and fixed it. So right. Joe's incompetence became what saved the day. And then his last light uh so, like, I'm doing the driving? or Because so, she's gotten in the driver's seat, clearly, yes. of, of his yeah. truck. 
Yes. Uh, Mrs. Garrett says, well, I hope we don't have any more trouble. And he says, you won't. She's coming with me. Right. And as he looks on, he says, hey, kid, I'm the one driving. <laughs> yes. Great exit line. Great. And he's exactly. perfect. Perfect. And then finally, in comes Danny's mother. Played by whom, Ginger? Gene Smart. Yay. We Fabulous. love Gene Smart. Yeah. God, she is so good. And she, I mean, was this before? This had to be before Designing Women. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Designing Women premiered in 86. Okay. And uh, yeah, and it ran until 93. So it was seven seasons. And uh, yeah, so that's two years away from this. Yeah. So at this point, she's still trying to trying to find that big series, and oh, she found it. Yeah, she did, and 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 she's in another favorite movie of mine, um, in uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Oh yes, she's the mom of Jake, who is mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon's like husband, but not divorced yes. yet. But yeah, veteran of stage and screen. And uh, here's some other interesting stuff about her. She played the part of Charlene on Designing Women only for the first five seasons. Yeah. A lot of people forget she left the show early and she left at the same time Delta Burke left. Mm-hmm. And so Delta Burke was everyone was fixated on with her and her fights with the producers and all that. So uh, she kind of slipped out quietly and was replaced by Jan Hooks from right, SNL. Right, right yeah. Um, but she never stopped working after that. She's had recurring roles on The District 24. Uh, she did voice work on Kim Possible. She did the TV shows Samantha Who, Fargo, Legion, currently uh, Watchmen, the series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, she's in that. And uh, she is, no, she's an extraordinary, she's one of the best actresses, I think, of her generation. Yeah, and, and I think I gave her a bad rap because of Designing Women. I'm like, well, I don't think she's, I like this person, Annie Potts, was my thing. Well, yeah. she played the kind of airheady flake on Designing Women. Right. And I'm not an airheady heady flake kind of person. <laughs> yeah. You didn't identify with her. And honestly, that's not the most challenging thing to play. No. Really. And it's not who she is. That I mean, she. Yeah. She's got. She, well, she has a lot of range, I think. So. No, she's got a lot of range and she is uh, terrific. Uh, just of note, she is. I did have to look it up because she towers over Kim Fields. Yes. In this scene. And you can tell from hearing the footsteps, you're like, okay, she sounds like she's got some heels on. Yeah. And Jean Smart is five foot ten. She is not a short woman. No. So she's got heels on. So she is probably standing at six foot next to Kim Fields, who is, I think, five two. Oh, she's and probably tiny. wearing sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes her more ominous, that's for sure. Uh, Yes. No, she just, she towers over, but honestly, she's gorgeous. And it is weird to see her. And she's doing just that slight touch of New York accent. Mm-hmm, she's just mm-hmm. putting, she's just peppering a little bit of it in there. And it's consistent and good. And it gives her an earthier quality, <coughs> like she's a, like she's a working woman. Right. Working class. Yeah. Working class. She is, oh, she is so good for what little she has to work with here in this short scene. I mean, unlike but, um, Edna, she doesn't have that uppity. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There's my okay. There's my impersonation. That was <laughs> that was it. It was perfect. That was it. Sorry, thank you. It was. Um, 
but yeah, in Designing Women, her, her thing was always, oh, Mary Jo, you don't think they're going to bring it over to the other place? Well, what if that shipment gets there the wrong time? That's going to be a disaster for the client. Right. Like, that was, she always was just kind of talking like this and, you know, setting up, like asking stupid questions so someone else could give the punchline. Right, exactly. That was kind of her thing. It was, honestly, Designing Women, sadly, was probably her most indelible role. And it's probably her least challenging and her her least good work. And it was probably her least favorite. Yeah. You know, the, I, it, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder it, what she would uh say about it. Yeah. But um uh very quickly we end up in uh little Tootie gets into little bitch mode. Oh which yeah. Which she has done before. And uh you alluded to this earlier about some of Tootie's acting when we get into this slightly bigger confrontational we are suddenly performing for the balcony of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, tootie, tootie, wow. just, just take it down. Yeah, just down. Just turn it down just, just, just to a just, couple. Just, You're at 11. We yeah. could use you at a nine, yeah. really. Keep the intensity, but, not the volume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> intensity, not volume. <laughs> like they say, don't go faster. Just take the air out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only actors will understand. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. But um basically Tootie is kind of confrontational, like, you know, well, he's cooped up in that house. He's practically a prisoner. He's a latchkey kid. And blah, blah. And Gene Smart is like, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm a good mother to my kid. And she's like, uh, every day I worry. You don't think I don't worry about him? And she yeah. says, every afternoon at work, I say, please let me come home and find him there in one piece. Just sitting in front of the TV, watching the Flintstones with mayonnaise on his pants. Exactly. Comedy rule of threes, people. That yep. was number two, if you're keeping score. <laughs> and uh, so... She does, you know, Tootie does say, can you leave, can't you leave Danny with a friend with this and that? And Jean Smart, uh, I think competently, and she doesn't ever say what she does, does she? No. You never know what the job is. No. But I think she so competently plays her as sympathetic, tough, and makes a good case. Like yeah. there's a sense of, no, 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 I'm not the villain here. This is not just Tootie the nice girl giving the bad lady a, a, a dressing down. No, it's you don't understand the facts of life, Tootie. Yeah. Hiya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she even says to her, what are you, 14, 15? Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't get it. It's, it's just, there is a point where she kind of plays the, God, you are so young and you don't fucking get it. Yeah. You think the world could be perfect. And, you know, in a perfect world, I would be able to do this, but I can't. Yeah. And uh, and we just moved here, so we don't have any friends. I don't have any friends or neighbors. I don't know anybody, and that I could leave him. With. Yeah. And Tootie was like, "Well, you know, why didn't you come and introduce yourself?" And she's like, "Well, where were you with the rest of the welcome wagon?" Uh huh. Like, right back at you, bitch. Exactly. So finally, Danny comes back in, and uh, and oh, and Jean's entrance. Her entrance is legitimately she is upset oh yes and on in tears and going where's my son where's my they, they told me he was in here where's my kid is he okay like her entrance i think she says she goes i, I just came home and there's all fire trucks in front of the buildings yeah so her first i mean immediately she went into a panic and she brought all of that with yep. that first entrance 
and then and then the tears and the relief when they say no 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 he's fine he's not here they just took him up but no no he's fine we've got this and, and they always she plays say it so well i mean they they tell you in acting you should always have that moment before where are you coming from mm-hmm. and you felt it as soon as she hit the camera like yeah. you knew you knew exactly what, where she was coming from yeah. and that intensity no. was there to, to lead her on yeah yeah, exactly. No, no, bravo, Gene Smart. We are we are team smart. Yes. Gene Smart. We are team, team smart. smart. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. <laughs> so as uh, Danny comes in, mommy, mommy, and there's the you know the the reunion and the yeah. hugging and oh baby you're okay and all that, and she says, um, he says, uh, oh she just notices, um, okay, and and backing up a little bit. They didn't just bring him back to the apartment because uh, he didn't have the pants. He had changed his pants. Pants because of mayonnaise. Because the mayonnaise. So that was, we already had two references to it. But anyhow, she's like, well, you changed your pants. And they look at each other and they both go, mayonnaise. <laughs> to a huge audience laugh. There was your payoff, your punchline to a joke that I really don't know if it's particularly funny. <laughs> It might just be that the audience needed a laugh because we did just watch a kind of intense scene with a lot of emotion. Exactly. And this is just a sitcom, we have to remember, you know. Yeah. But you, you need to lighten it. You need to have that break where we can go, ah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of things need that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the release. It truly is. Yeah. Um, and Danny says to his mom, Tootie said, if I stayed at home, I'd get hurt. And she's like, wait a minute, Tootie? And it's like that. this, the one that's been yelling at you and trying to bitch you out. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm Tootie. Hi. Hi. And <laughs> awkward. <laughs> and Mrs. Garrett does say, I tried and he would not budge. I could not have gotten him out of there without her help. And so as they say goodbye, just before they leave, suddenly Tootie's like, well, you know, I maybe could, you know, like look in on him and check on him in the afternoons, you know, seeing as how we're neighbors and then oh. there's this kind of awkward pause. And then Danny hugs his mother. And then it freeze frames and we roll the credits. And it's like, <laughs> what? Uh, okay. And Tootie's offering her services since clearly she doesn't actually work there at the store. Yeah, exactly. She has nothing else going on with commuting to a boarding school and also having to pay off her room and board by working at a store on a completely voluntary basis. Yeah. So overall, I I liked the episode. I really enjoyed Gene Smart's. I think I think really Gene Smart's performance is the thing that makes me put this in one of the the better episodes. Even though, as usual, I had a hundred thousand nitpicky little things to shit on it for. I just thought that you know the the explanation of Latchkey Kid was correct, and and being one myself, I'm like, yeah, those are the rules. That's what yeah. you do. And if my mom found out I went into someone's store asking for candy, big trouble. Big trouble. Yeah. And and I think it was way more common than even these writers and producers realized. Like, yeah. they were treating it like it was this um, really out-of-the-box, scandalous thing. And it and it's was like, not. Yeah. You no, just gave absolutely. me an episode that was too relatable. I still can't believe it. And I I just let's, you know, if, if we didn't believe in a ha- higher power before, Man. I think we can now. I that think it we can. brought you 
and me in this episode together. I know. I know there was another hand involved. That hand left handprints, and that was when it carried us. Oh, yeah. You're beautiful. I think I've mixed my my religious stories here, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're making it up. (laughs) (laughs) So... My darling, I hope we're able to do this again. Yes. And I cannot wait to see you, your face again in real time and in real flesh and not have to be six feet away and not be able to hug you and say hi. I know, I know. And, and you to be uh, able to stand behind me and fix my wigs. And, you know. Yeah, that's right. I fix your wigs at Sleuths all the time. Uh. <laughs> I'm a gay. <laughs> I'm a tomboy. <laughs> So until that time comes, until next we speak, smooches, my darling, and goodbye. Bye, and thank you so much for letting me do this with you, David. You're great. (laughs) And there you have it. That was Ginger Lee McDermott, a.k.a. Ginger Honey, a.k.a. Awesome, Amazing, Incredible, Talented Super Lady. Now, next week I'm going to be watching Season 5, Episode 15, called Crossing the Line. And my special guest is going to be Trinell Mooring, a three-peat guest. This will be her third show. I cannot wait. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I'll post the link in the show notes, and you can also find it at this episode's webpage. And that's really it. Guys, thank you so much as always, every week for listening to the show. I really so appreciate it. And uh, remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle facethefactspod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash facethefactspod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.